At the end of a service, Steve went up to his minister and asked him if he would pray for his hearing. The minister, being a very godly spiritual man, was only too pleased to pray for someone to be healed. And so in a moment of fervor, he gently placed his hands over Steve's ears and he began to pray and ask God for healing. One minute turned to two, to three, to four. The minister got more and more fervent, more and more passionate about the promises of God and the healing that could be claimed in the name of Jesus. Five minutes turned to ten. He got very quite agitated. His hands were shaking. He was sort of pressing slightly on the side of Steve's head. Ten minutes turned to fifteen before he finally came to an end, slightly exhausted, slightly perspiring. And he dropped his hands off the side of Steve's head and he said, So, my child... Tell me, how's your hearing? He said, I've absolutely no idea. It's not till next Thursday. Thank you. There were three preachers who were sat discussing the best positions for prayer as a telephone repairman happened to be working nearby. The first said, kneeling is definitely the best position for praying. Another one said, no, you're wrong. I get the very best results from my prayers when I stand with my arms outstretched to heaven. Another guy said, you've both got it completely wrong. The most effective prayer position is when you lay prostrate on the floor. Well, the telephone repairman could no longer contain himself. And he went, oi, fellas, the best praying position I ever had was when I was hanging upside down off a telegraph pole. I've got to tell you one more, and I apologize in advance. I wasn't going to say it, but it made me laugh so much at home. There were three men. um, So women can breathe a sigh of relief. Three men, they were hiking and there was a huge river. It was a real rushing, angry, sort of flowing river. And they realized they had to get across to the other side. Well, Job prayed and he said, Lord God, give me the strength so that I can swim across this river. Massive muscles appeared in his arms and legs. And Job swam across. He nearly drowned three times. But he got across, did a fist pump at the other side. Seeing this, Dave too prayed. And he said, God, please give me strength but also tools to cross the river. Well, the muscles appeared, as did equipment to build a raft. And Dave slowly made his way across this angry river, nearly drowning and capsizing at least four times. Bob had seen how this had worked out for the other two. He also prayed to God, and this was his prayer. Lord God, give me the strength and the tools and the intelligence to cross this river. Well, God gave him the mind of a woman, And he got out the map, and he hiked half a mile to the left and crossed over the bridge. (laughs) Sorry, I just thought that was funny. It's not remotely related to anything I'm about to say, but I just thought it was worth worth giving to you. We're thinking that carrying on our series this week, uh, this final one of our three-part series, looking at prayer, and particularly this morning, the idea that prayer isn't always easy. Uh, Prayer is sometimes a battle. Sometimes it's something we have to really persevere in, to really fight through um, as we pray. In our post-alpha group uh, that meets once a month, we have almost like a book club model. We meet together and we just take one book, uh, we agree the month before, and we just spend a month, we read it personally, privately, and then we just get together for a bit of a discussion about it. And this week, I just asked people very straightforwardly, what struck you, what verses hit you about the book of Colossians? And Chris over here, um, I've asked his permission, I'm not going to embarrass him, um, he said that it was chapter 4, verse 12 of Colossians that really struck him the most. And uh, 
Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. Let's see if I can beat David. Um, verse 12. Oh, I said, I meant verse 13. Although I've seen one verse 14. Hang on. No, all right. Never mind. Um, verse, chapter 4 and verse 12 of Colossians says this. Epaphras, who is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus sends you greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. And that uh, verse really got us, uh, a few of us that were there, really talking about what it meant to wrestle in prayer, because we, we sort of soon realized, we discussed, that so often prayer comes across as a bit bland, a bit dull, a bit pointless, a bit powerless. Um, so often Christians have a really poor experience of prayer but this guy's wrestling in prayer he's fighting he's battling in prayer and it's a real reality check I think to us and reminding us that sometimes prayer is hard and sometimes prayer is a battle a battleground for something really important um, you won't believe what I'm about to say so please try and not look shocked um, I started running before the summer I don't know why you're laughing it's true um, I began running I run 10 kilometers every Tuesday morning no, sorry, thank you. Um, me and my neighbour, we run 10 kilometres every Tuesday. And after the summer, I say this merely just simply to boast, I hadn't run for six weeks. And if you ever run, you'll know uh, what I'm about to say and the joy of being able to run longer than you thought you could when you ran regularly. And we came off my summer holidays and me and my friend Mark across the road ran our normal 10k, but we went up to nine, uh, eight miles, eight miles. And I tell you, at the end of it, you know when you think to yourself, I could do another four I felt genuinely brilliant. And so I went home thinking, I've got this running crack. I don't know what Martin was talking about. It's easy. Um, you know, bring on the marathon. And so I went home, and a week later, um, I got up to do our normal 10K, and I woke up, and I just felt like I weighed 50 stone. I felt like my legs had turned to rock. I felt like I was dragging an elephant behind me, and I woke up, and I actually sent him a text saying, I really can't make this morning. I'm a, I'm a bit busy. Unfortunately, it wasn't actually a lie, because I was busy, but I could have fitted it in. And as I opened my front door to do something else, he was standing across the road with some other guy. And so I went and changed, and we ran. And it was agony. I hated every single step, but I did it. And I felt good for doing it at the end. Prayer is a bit like that sometimes. It can be something we have to fight through. You can hit the wall, can't you? Sometimes you can feel like you're almost gazing at the face of God. But other times you feel like nothing's going anywhere, and it's just hard work. But we must run through and power through the obstacles that we can have in prayer. And there are a few obstacles um, that get in the way of our prayer times. The first is simply practical. And for some of us here this morning, praying is very difficult just to get right in terms of our schedule and our logistics. If you've got younger kids, uh, you'll identify with the mum who desperately wanted to read her Bible for 10 minutes in the morning um, without her children looking underneath the door to the bathroom and saying, you finished yet? Or following her around. And so she used to find the clothes cupboard uh, that she could fit into, and she would squeeze herself into the clothes cupboard, shut the door, and they never found out where she was. And she would have her 10 minutes with God in the clothes cupboard. If you're able to, uh, I advise that. But sometimes practical obstacles get in the way. You get up really early for work, or something else is going on. There are spiritual obstacles to prayer. You know, the devil tries desperately to stop us praying. Because a Christian who doesn't pray doesn't do anything. It's quite simple. It's like training to be a footballer, but never training during the week and turning up to play on Saturday thinking, oh, I'll be all right for the big game. You won't be because you haven't trained. If you don't pray during the week, the devil knows we won't be as effective for our king. 
uh, when the push comes to shove. So the devil tries desperately hard to stop us praying. You might well have noticed that those times when you say, now I'm going to spend half an hour with you, Lord. Isn't it funny how the phone rings? Or somebody wants to sell you PPI insurance, and you think, leave me alone, please. Or the doorbell rings. Or suddenly you're overcome with this feeling of, I simply must check my emails. I must check my Instagram followers to see how many I've got compared to yesterday. If you're above 18, you don't care anyway, but you have it because all the kids have got it. And sometimes there are also intellectual obstacles. Sometimes when we get down to pray, we've got so many questions, so many emotions, that that just gets in the way of the real purpose and importance of prayer. So we're going to look this morning um, at the most amazing prayer um, I think ever prayed. Prayed by Jesus, of course, recorded for us in Mark chapter 14, verse 36. It's the prayer that he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, just a short time before he's betrayed by Judas, left by his disciples all alone, before the cross, before the agony of the nails, and the thorn, crown of thorns, the rejection, the death, the grave, of course, the glory of the resurrection. And this is Jesus' prayer as he stares at the cross, knowing exactly what is going to happen to him. In the Garden of Gethsemane, verse 36 of Mark 14, we, these, this is what's recorded. I'll start from verse 35. It says, Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, take everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And then he returns to his disciples. I'll read it again. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. How often have we prayed prayers like that? Lord, this is just too tough. Take it away. Remove this from my life, please. Jesus prays a very similar prayer that perhaps we've all prayed at different points. But seeing the cross in front of him, knowing the agony of what he was going to go through. He wrestles in prayer. He struggles in prayer. He battles in prayer. He cries out to God. And there are three things, just to say before we get into it, is that this 21-word prayer is the hinge point of history. If it was going to go wrong, it was going to go wrong here. The second thing to say is this is probably the most important prayer ever prayed. And it gives us some vital clues about how to pray when things are going wrong or when things are a battle or when things are tough. And so just a few points to take away this morning. Jesus prayed, Abba, Father, first of all. In his, sorry, in his struggle, Jesus remembered something vital. He didn't focus firstly on what was going wrong or what was about to happen to him. He focuses, first of all, on who God was. Abba, Father. That intimate word, the most intimate word for Father you can get. Use of the King of Kings. Abba, Father. He remembers the love of God. And that's really important because when things go wrong, often the very temptation we have is to forget that God loves us. To say, well, God's not here. He's absent. He's an absent father. But Jesus, when facing the cross, prays, Abba, Father. I wonder if you ever use that word yourself when you pray. Abba, Father. We can be very formal with God sometimes, can't we? And it's good to treat a holy God like a holy God. But also we have the privilege of treating that holy God as our Father in heaven. So we can be formal, but we can also be intimate with our King, Abba, Father. When life is tough, that's our temptation to doubt God's love, especially when our prayers aren't answered the way we feel they ought to be. In The Magician's Nephew, C.S. Lewis's first book in the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe series, um, he writes about a boy named Diggory, whose mother is dying of cancer. And in this particular scene, he meets Aslan the Lion. 
And this is what he says. He says, but please, please, won't you give me something that will cure mother? Up until then, Diggory had been looking at the great lion's feet, its huge claws. But now in his despair, he looks up at its face. And what he saw surprised him so much as anything in his whole life. Because that face was bent down near his own, wonder of wonders, and great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. They were such big, bright tears compared to Diggory's own that for a moment he felt as if the lion must be more sorry about his mother than he was himself. My son, my son, said Aslan, I know grief is great. It's an amazing picture. We may wonder why those great claws aren't doing something we want it to do. But we must always look up and see the tears in the great lion's face. The analogy of Jesus in that story. Somebody once said the power of prayer depends almost entirely upon our apprehension of who it is with whom I'm speaking. The power of prayer depends almost entirely upon the apprehension of who it is I'm speaking. One of my most favorite verses... Well, I like them all, actually. I'm a proper Christian. I like all the verses in the Bible, of course. Um, Psalm 37, verse 17. I love this because um, it's a psalm of Asaph, and he's clearly struggling with why bad things happen in the world. The wicked are getting away with it, Lord. Is that kind of complaint in this psalm. And he says in verse um, 16 and 17, it says, When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny and I love that verse because it's almost saying without God and being in his presence and prayer nothing makes sense bad or good but when you're in the presence of God we're sometimes given that glimpse into the way God sees it and we get a glimpse of eternity so Jesus prays Abba Father when things are tough when we don't get the answers we want when we're battling and wrestling in prayer we must hold on to that knowledge that God is near us and God loves us and maybe you guys going to university, maybe things will be difficult at times. But you must remember that God loves you. You must remember that you're not going away from him. You may be going away from us, but you're not going away from him. He goes with you, and he will be with you if you hang on to him. Second thing Jesus prays is everything is possible for you. The second temptation when things are going wrong, when we're wrestling with our prayer life, is to doubt that God has the power to do anything. Interesting that in this moment of turmoil, what does Jesus do? He doesn't say, oh, I give up. He says, no, everything is possible. He acknowledges the power that God is fully in control. And the third thing to take away from Mark 14 is when Jesus says this amazing line, take this cup from me. In his struggle about the cross, Jesus affirms God's love. He affirms his power. But then radically, he is almost surprisingly honest. It hurts what's about to happen. His humanity is aching for what's about to occur to him. And he cries out, take it from me, if possible. And the third temptation when we struggle and wrestle is to pretend that all things are well. How many Christians do you know just keep using that word, I'm fine? How many people do we know that we say, I'm fine? Do we really know each other that well at all? I had a testimony, not just yesterday evening, but yesterday morning. Um, one of us shared very openly about his life and I know him really well but some of it was news to me I felt a bit embarrassed at the end I felt emotional actually as well but I felt a bit embarrassed because I thought have I bothered to find out some other of this stuff do we know each other that well 
or do we accept the I'm fine because we've got other things to do? The danger when things go wrong is to present as if things are going right. When you wrestle with prayer, don't be frightened to tell God how you feel. Eugene Peterson, um, who was behind the message version of the Bible uh, and many other books, reckons that between half and two-thirds of Psalms in the Old Testament are not full of happy praise, but instead full of honest lament, bemoaning the problems of life and the struggles that the psalmist is going on. We don't say it enough as Christians that it's all right to be unhappy It's all right for things to go wrong. It's all right to wonder what God is doing. It's all right, it's okay, it's all right. We don't have to pretend everything's good and perfect. I would argue that's a mistake. It's all right to say to your fellow Christians, I don't understand, I'm struggling with God at the moment. And if there's a Christian that's worth their salt, they'll pray with you and support you and not give you a trite one-liner. But they'll say, let's just walk through this together because we all feel like that at some point and I reckon it's really important to lament it's a really old fashioned word isn't it we don't talk about lamenting oh I I lament Tottenham Hotspur quite regularly Um, but that's a very different sermon but it's not complaining lamenting you know moaning and complaining at God lamenting is expressing regret or grief or pain it's being real with God it's being open it's being honest it's saying ah and I've heard stories of people that have just almost let out a sound when terrible things have happened, just lamented from the heart almost and I encourage you when things go wrong to be that open and just to say to God I don't get it, I'm I'm confused that's how you get through difficult moments and the fourth thing, Jesus then goes on to pray crucially, yet not what I will but what you will at the very end of his prayer even though the agony of the cross is almost a weight too much to bear Jesus surrenders his will to gods that is the most pivotal way of surviving when things go wrong this is pivotal because um aside and after my struggles in life when i come to pray i must end my prayer very simply by bowing to the will of god Uh, it's worth having in mind um why a prayer may not be answered because sometimes god doesn't answer our prayer sometimes things don't go the way we want in fact more often than we choose to admit as christians we'd like it if god answered all of our prayers wouldn't we all the time the way we want But that's not how it works. And there are a couple of reasons why God may not answer your prayer, or your prayer may not be answered the way you think it should be. And the first is simply God's will. That's why Jesus says, not my will, but your will. Perhaps God's will for you is to go through uh, a particular period in your life. Perhaps it's God's will that you experience something you don't want to. Not because he's being horrible, but because there's a greater good that will come out of it. Billy Graham's wife said that she was thankful that God said no to some of her prayers. And do you know why? Because she says, I would have married the wrong man. I thought that was nice. Second reason your prayer may not happen the way you think it should is because of God's world. There are certain governing principles to the world we live in that God can't just get rid of because of you or I. For example, um, if you get up late for work every morning, which I'm sure no one does, and you know that the train from Sawbridgeworth is 6.36, I don't know when it goes from Sawbridgeworth, but let's say 6.36, and you know that you're always just about on time, or you've missed the last 10 times. Now, if you get up at quarter past six, and you pray the train will be five minutes late every every time just for you, 
What does that do to the train timetable? What does that do to all the other people across that whole um, line of train and passengers? There are certain principles that aren't going to get changed just because we want it to. You know, I might be getting married next Saturday and I want it to be sunny. Or maybe God doesn't want it to be sunny because the farmers need some rain, etc., etc., etc. And the third thing is because of God's war. The enemy, the Bible tells us, is actively opposing God's purposes And our call is to resist him in prayer. To resist him in our moral lives, of course, but to resist him in prayer as well. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, says this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, we fight against the devil and all of his minions that seek to hold back the purposes of God. So when a prayer doesn't answer the way you think it should, you don't just give up and assume it's never going to be answered. You persevere, you fight. And in fact, some of the best stories of prayers being answered haven't been because someone prayed once on the way to see somebody. It's because they prayed every day and they took on darkness in the power of Jesus' name and won because they submitted themselves to God's will and they understood his word, his world. And so we've had three weeks looking at prayer and we're done. Next Sunday will be our harvest service, so that will be completely different. But let me end just by asking a question, a rhetorical question. Are you tempted this morning to doubt God's love? Are you tempted to doubt God's power? Are you tempted to pretend everything is fine? I encourage you to remember that God loves you. And if you struggle to remember that God loves you, look at the cross as often as you can. Imagine those nails going through his hands and his feet for you because he loves you. Remember that Christ rose from the grave on the third day. No one has ever done that. He defeated death once and for all. And if he can do that, then his power hasn't diminished. And please don't tell a God that knows everything about you that you're fine. Because the only person you hurt is yourself. Remember this, next time God doesn't answer a prayer, ultimately, it was an unanswered prayer of Jesus in Mark 14 that changed the whole world. Take this cup from me, wasn't answered, and the rest is history. Imagine that, remember that next time God doesn't answer your prayer the way you think he should. Maybe he has a greater purpose in that. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to lift up these thoughts uh, we've been saying in the last three weeks. Father, I really feel that there's almost a constant challenge coming from your throne, Lord, to your church. Father God, and it's a great challenge, simply perhaps a question, where do I feature in your life? Lord, I just feel you're saying to the UK church, particularly at the moment, um, about prayer. Because, Lord, there are many really busy churches. There are many really successful churches. And perhaps we could sometimes put ourselves, Lord, in one of those. We could say, well, we had 130. We have 100 kids at Zone, 25 to 35 at Haley. Open door, loads of families. And we could say, yeah, things are going really well. Perhaps in our own lives we can say, I'm feeling good, I'm getting on with things. But, Father God, I believe your question is always, where am I in that? Where are our Garden of Gethsemane moments? Where are our half an hour in the morning giving the day to the King of Kings? Father, I believe you want to do big things in our lives. I believe you want to do amazing things in this church. I believe you're not even remotely finished with us. 
I believe you want to bring healing and blessing to people, Father. You want to raise up, Lord, an army of Christians who know what it is to really sacrificially love those who are going through genuinely hard times. But, Lord, we won't be any of those things if we keep you outside. So, Father God, as we hit the national weekend of prayer next weekend, Father God, I pray that there will be more than a few of us that will come and pray on Saturday between 10 and 4. The Lord, the whole church, if they can, will just come and spend some time with you, with each other. Father God, we pray that you would answer our prayers and you would bless this place and you would bless any here who are struggling. We would always know your love, whatever we go through. In Jesus' name, amen.